Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. I'm going to be sharing from a book that I, that I don't get all of it. And I'm breaking it down into, I've read it once, and I'm breaking it down into little, like, half hour at a time studying. But I think it's really, it's, it's really beautiful and mind-blowing, and I'm so happy to be able to share. Um, I'll go in the chat and share the name of the book. It's called The Liberated Mind. And... Um, Oh, of course I have an audible. I've actually ordered an audible and a physical book because I want to be able to share. Um, oh, this looks like I said that already. Well, okay. Wow. This is getting fancy. So, all right, 904, plenty of time for people to come and people can catch up or listen on the replay uh, if you miss the beginning of the room. So thank you to everyone who has come. Uh, my name is Christina Dennis. I'm a recovery coach who uh, specializes in breaking codependent patterns. Um, like Emerald said, we're all recovering in life, and um, you are part of the Recovered Life discussion, Rewire Your Brain, just some housekeeping rules. Uh, this is replayed and also rebroadcasted, so I want everybody to be aware of that although all are welcome to share, but do it. Um, you know, I once heard that it's not up to me to say it's a safe space. It's up to every person to determine themselves if this is a safe space. And so I like you to have all the facts. Um, I will, of course, monitor if anybody has um, less, less than supportive things to say. Um, I will uh, remove you from speaking stage. But I've never had to do that in this group. So uh, just saying that up front and um, please refer to first names only so that um, so that everybody gets to determine whether this is a safe space for them. So as I mentioned prior to often, I, I am not a neuroscientist. I have uh, partners that are neuroscientists that study it specifically, but I am a student of life and have been in recovery or on the road of recovery since 1997. Um, my, I am a special needs mother, which meant that I had to get down and dirty with this information many, many years ago to give him, my son, the most help. And I love the brain and will forever be a student of it. So what I do in this particular space is bring um, to the group information that I'm reading and, you know, certain pr uh, perspectives that I have, but I, I want to be really upfront and say this, this is not coming from me. I have read it and I am sharing it and each person has and is the expert of their own life. So please feel free to raise your hand and share and come up um, and, you know, hopefully 
the design of this time and this space is that we all go away with something to think about and uh, I learn from you as much as you learn from me. So the name of the book is called The Liberated Mind and if anybody has read it you are more than welcome to come up. Um, it's, it's about the ability to pivot and I'm just going to share literally the first 30 minutes of the book. I highly recommend it for people who are geeks like me and want to study a little more about the brain. Um, it is written by a PhD, Stephen Hayes, and it is, um, it is his life's work. Uh, it's, a, it's the accumulation of 35 years of research. And uh, Dr. Hayes mentions that he is somebody who suffers from and is in recovery from addiction and anxiety. So <clears throat> I love learning from people who are part of our world. And I have a little bit of pride about the fact that I think some of these, many of these thought leaders that I look toward are people that have and are experiencing sobriety and recovery. So um, the first chapter talks about the need to pivot and it introduces the way of thinking right from, from the um, get-go. And, uh, you know, Dr. Hayes sets it up by letting us, and talking about what I think we all really know, which is in the last 50 years, as a human species, we have grown leaps and bounds in our technology. Uh, we know more about how to save lives. We've spent more money on how to keep lives saving, you know, lives uh, longer. Mortality has gone down in many, many areas, and he shares a lot of statistics that are interesting. And so it's kind of cool to reflect. And if anybody else is feeling this like I do, I'm like, yeah, that's right. These new tools are incredibly exciting. But he quickly introduces that even though we have as a species done more in the, in the road, more toward um, progression, we're struggling to actually live better lives on the inside. Um, you know, the exterior world, we get more information, but actually our mental health and our own happiness is lagging and in some cases is suffering from the fact that we have such amazing technology. And I can, you know, he uses the example of social media. You know, we're learning how to connect, Uber connectivity all over the world at the fastest pace. And yet that's coming with its own set of mental health issues. And so there needs to be some focus on mental health. I think that those of us in recovery have a leg up on some people in the world because to save our own lives, we have realized that we have to take time. So even though we're living longer, we're not happy. And that's, that's a general statement. And he brings up the statistic that in 1990, depression was the fourth leading, leading cause internationally to um, disability. And in 2010, it was the second one. But by the time 2017 came around, it, depression was the number one cause of disability internationally. And I don't think anybody would argue with that, but it was surprising to see how fast it went. 1990 to 2017 is a pretty short amount of time. 
showing that we have a crisis. And I can't imagine if the book was written in 2022, what, what would be said based on what we've all survived. You know, he shows the, the, the statistics that in America, 40 million people have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and that it's over 10% of the population over 18. And I think that there, there are, those numbers are low compared to what we've just struggled. Um, the book and the study is, as, is, as he stated, a, the reason why he studies this as a behavioral scientist and a person in recovery is because we're struggling with rising to the humanity that we need to live within the technology that we have. Um, some of the more obvious reasons, um, and I'll just state them for conversation's sake, is that we have constant input of terrible things. Uh, and it is uh, par for the course that we feel much more threatened in this world. Even though statistically it really isn't that less safe, uh, although I struggled with this because I think how can it be less safe with all the school shootings in the United States? But I think that, you know, he's looking at statistics and saying, you know, we are as a whole not living in a more unsafe space, but everyone is aware of what it feels like and we're all rocking, walking around this earth with a threatened feeling. So external world is changing, the internal world needs to catch up. And behavioral science has been attempting to do this for many, many years. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I have this room and why, you know, my the people that I spend my most time with are interested in, in this topic. It's like we feel like we have, I feel like we have a crisis of identity and a crisis of not living a better life uh, and not enjoying the life that we have. And I, it's literally my life's work. Um, and one of the reasons why I come and, and, and share because I, I figured and feel very strongly that it's my mission and one of the purposes in my life to take what is very difficult and turn it into something that is good and beautiful and helps others that are struggling with trauma and past history and you know and sobriety gets us into the arena of being able to to look for a happier life but i need more and so he brings up this term psychological flexibility which is the premise of 35 years of his work and some of the different help groups out there. In fact, later on in the book, he goes on to describe the statistics of staying sober uh, and how they used a, um, oh gosh, I can't think of it, a controlled group where one set of uh, addicts who wanted to recover had no intervention whatsoever, uh, a second group of addicts um, went through 12 steps, and he shares the statistics of them getting sober, and many of us know those are pretty sad statistics. And then he shares what happened with the third group that went through this program called ACT, and it's about introducing this concept of psychological flexibility and the skill sets that we start to gain when we decide I am going to commit myself to learning how to be psychologically flexible. First of all, the word is cool. Don't you think, Emerald and Kathy? Like, that's a cool word. And so, <laughs> I, 
I was like, when I first read it this last year, when I was studying this book and yet again, studying it again, I was like, ooh, using that word right, right and left. And in some cases, I think that the tenets of the, the thought, psychological flexibility are part of what I believe strongly and have kind of come to my own without the assistance of this book. But all of us, I believe, are trying to gain psychological flexibility. And they're showing that it works, right? Over time, the more we seek to learn how to catch up with this modern world, the, learn we, the more that we seek topics like this and study them, we are creating psychological flexibility. And I'm sure I'm gonna bring this book around several times because I love how it addresses cognitive behavioral therapy and the differences between cognitive behavioral therapy and the ACT program. And I just think that every one of us are going to learn from, from this. And I'd love to hear people's thoughts as I go into the six tenets of psychological flexibility um, so please, if you at any time want to reach up, you know, come up, ask a question, jump on in. I, I don't have that much more information to share, but um, I'll go ahead and go through some of it. So what does psychological flexibility really mean? It's the ability to, the first ten is it's the ability to think and feel with openness. Okay. I think that that is something that addicts, people in recovery are, you know, we know how to do that. I mean, feelings a lot harder, but we certainly know how to be open. When we first decided to get sober, you know, I'll speak in terms of me. When I first decided to get sober, I had to learn how to be open to the idea that I could live without alcohol to keep me alive. And that meant just through that act, I had become open. Um, the second tenet is to attend voluntarily to your experiences in the current moment. And I think AA or however you got sober, most of us use as a general tenant is that we live in the moment and we stay open to it. We're, we're open to living life on life's terms. To move your life in directions that are important to you as an individual. Well, I don't know a bunch of, I don't know a group bigger, uh, more individuals than I do in recovery. And I see so many of my spiritual warriors and the people that I look up to and the people that are, have come later than me to the party and I've seen them, yes, they're moving in directions. They're moving their life into directions that are important to them. The fourth tenet is building habits that allow you to live life according to your values and aspirations. We, yeah, for me, this is, this wasn't always the case, but I certainly have started to learn to do that. And you know, the value system, when I first got sober, I had to figure out what is my actual value system versus your value system versus the big morality question. You know, that was a big one for me. Still pops up these days. Am I being a good girl or am I being a bad girl? What do I really care about? And aspirations is, is a whole nother 20 hours of discussion for me personally, but I think that it's important to say it. And then the sixth tenet is learning not to turn away from what is painful and said, instead turning toward your suffering in order to live a life of meaning. So having these six tenets 
means that we are living life with psychological flexibility. And I feel so good about sharing them because I think anybody who's shown up in recovery, like in the beginning, I wanted to just know, like, how do I do it right? Give me the checklist. What's the step that I have to finish? How do I get through it? And if I had had this information, I probably wouldn't have understood all of it or any of it, but I would have at least had a place to start. And learning not to turn away from what is painful instead of turning toward it is one that I will try to flex that muscle as long as I can because, of course, I want to not have pain. You know, crazy people run toward pain. But I have since learned in my life that the actual key for me to have a bigger life is being willing to live through that pain and to, to uncover it and move forward. And so these are the kind of uh, characteristics that we all want to shoot for when we're turning toward our pain. We want to stay curious, we want to stay open, and we want to stay kind. And the way that we can transform our pain into more beauty and more self-worth is, is, is by having a non-judgmental, compassionate way to look at the places in our lives and where we hurt the most. And that means we can't avoid what hurts us anymore. That means that <clears throat> feelings aren't facts, can only get us so far. We actually have to turn toward the pain. Um, through this study, through this behavioral science study, he shares that the things that have the power to hurt us is often what we care most about. And I think that kind of makes sense on its own, right? You know, the things that have the power to bring me to my knees are uh, situations like yesterday where I feel threatened around my son. But my deepest yearning and most powerful motivation is hidden in those, um, which we, I think we could have an entire room about that, right? Our deepest yearning and powerful motivation hides in our powerful defense systems. And I see the ladies clapping, and I want to stop for a minute <clears throat> and kind of open it up to the rude room and see, you know, Emerald, what are your thoughts based on this psychological flexibility uh, conversation? Thanks so much, Christina. Um, I am highly moved and I've been nodding my head over here because, um, you know, as I continue to grow and evolve, um, there are people that I um, am, am currently facing um, releasing. Um, I'm, I'm gonna say that I'm, I'm releasing certain people from my past, some, my best friend. I've gotta put some space between us because of her behavior. You know, I've gotta put um, some, some distance between myself and my business partner. Um, even putting a little bit of distance with myself and my mother in order about that in order to um, protect what is growing and what I'm harvesting in my heart. Um, I want to harvest uh, and generate more love, more peace, um, more, more joy 
you know, and with people who were bringing toxic energy to me um, that is non-supportive of my growth and encouragement and development, it's really hard because there are people that I love and have been in my life for so long. However, they don't know that they're hurting me even though I'm telling them. <laughs> and um, the way how that ties in is because my loyalty um, is so strong sometimes that I let people hurt me. And in this space that I'm in right now in creating these boundaries, I'm literally facing the fear of being, possibly being lonely, you know? And I'm, I'm facing so many fears right now and I'm staring at them head on, you know? Um, by, by going to Austin, which was the place I almost died four years ago. I, I didn't think I was gonna be in Austin anytime soon, but I cannot run away from life. I have to roll with it. I, I've gotta learn, I'm, I'm learning to surf the wave in a matter of speaking. A wave has its pitfalls, it peaks and valleys and so forth. And um, I'm, I'm facing that every day. I'm facing, um, you know, my cravings with, uh, the tools that I have, I'm facing um, my success and the growth and the the adversities that come with that, which does include removing and not even removing, but just giving more distance. Um, I'm I'm learning how to love people from a distance. Um, I don't gotta cut people off, but I can't because I gotta have my mom. I mean, I've only got one mom, <laughs> but she's. You know that, that anyway i just wanted to say that that um that psychological flexibility is me continually reframing and saying emerald you got to do what's best for you because if you're not taking care of yourself you damn sure can't help anyone else you got this boy you've got these audiences that you're telling your story to through song and um facing those um and and, and resonating in that vein um you know i want to I, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. Um, I'm looking at psychological flexibility as my new quote unquote drug of choice. <laughs> right. And that's me. Oh, I love it. You know, um, you're talking about turning toward the suffering. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, we can know that we're not turning toward the suffering, which is where our most powerful motivation is hidden when we're denying uh, you know, suppression or self-medication. I've, I've been in both camps for many years, you know. I've been in suppression long after I quit self-medicating. And when we're caught up in dwelling in it with rumination and worry. And so I, I believe that, that applying psychological flexibility and having those key words is so helpful for us to know our next, our next indicated step as they say. Kathy, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What an interesting topic. Um, I think, I, I think in, like Kathy, alcoholic, in, in sobriety, I've certainly become more flexible. You have to be flexible because I have to be anyway, because um, the old life, my old life is gone. Um, the old things I could rely on are gone. Um, and I, I've had to try new things, and as I've tried new things, I've enjoyed sobriety more. Um, what I've done, I wouldn't call myself fully flexible yet. I'm not, a, you know, not a yoga teacher, but I think what I have become is less entrenched in absolutes and 
possibly even values that I had in addiction. Um, and I think that's really a useful place to be now because the world is getting very entrenched in, in uh, absolutes. And I think to be flexible allows you to, it kind of, it, it protects my, my karma, you know, it protects my, my mind if I can see, you can see both sides and you can make your own decision. I mean, sometimes it, it doesn't take long. Um, but you can, and that way you can be able to talk to people and have dialogue. Um, but I think um, for my own kind of, in my own um, sober state, the flexibility also makes you, it keeps you on your toes, you know? Um, you have to, you have to think things through. You have to challenge yourself and you do have to see things without your, without your drug of choice, so without your protection. Um, and being flexible means being open to that, I think, for me, um, and doing something with that sobriety. Um, why not? <laughs> you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be, if I'm not going to have that protection, as I thought it was at the time, um, if I don't have alcohol to cloud my judgment and to, to soften things and to blur things for me, um, what, what a great gift to, to look at things and be flexible about things and change your mind. You know, um, I thought that person was an asshole. Yeah, well, maybe they're a bit of an asshole, but they're still a person. Um, I thought that way of doing things was the only way. It's not. Um, nothing is set in stone. I mean, that, that's probably the only thing that is set in stone, is that nothing's set in stone. Um, so I, I like the idea of being on my toes. I like the idea that it gives you power over your own choices. Um, that's very important for me. Um, so yeah, really interesting topic. Thank you, Christina. Oh, you're welcome. And I think that you, you gave so many good examples of how we get to start and, you know, um, learning not to turn away from what is painful instead of turning toward it. I love that, that he also shares though, that when we're caught up in dwelling on it, we're really actually not looking through it. And so there's some really nice safeguards to kind of um, be able to explain it. You know, for me, that black and white thinking, I can apply that to everything. I, can, I, could, I could and did apply it to some of the spiritual tenets of AA until eventually I realized, well, that's, there are things that don't make sense, you know, and I want to stay open to them. And it was in that black and white thinking was actually one of the keys to me growing and becoming and going after the things that I aspired to. It was actually the pain of that black and white thinking is what turned me into a person who wanted to seek knowledge. And when I work with people or talk to them, you know, one on one, um, I, I will ask those questions. It's so much easier to ask them of somebody else. Very difficult to ask them of myself in the middle of it because I want to believe what I want to believe. But having a gentle nudge from somebody else to, hey, maybe, hey, maybe there's something else that's going on, or can you expand? Um, and can you expand and just consider other options? It certainly feels a lot better. It kind of reminds me of some of the medical advice, and Jules, we're going to get right to you as I got older, and I'm getting older. Um, strength is great. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm 53 here in a couple of days. And, uh, but as I get older, there's like osteoporosis, there's all kinds of things. And I remember a very wise person said, strength is great, but flexibility is better. 
And one of the ways that as you protect yourself, you physically, as you age, is to continue being flexible. Well, of course that works uh, in my spiritual game. Jules, thank you for coming up. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I, 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 Jules is one of my recent uh, new associates. Uh, well, not mine. He, uh, he is new to me and he's brilliant. So thanks for coming up and coming to the room. I really appreciate oh, it. Great, thanks so much. I like your uh, vibe. Um, are, you, are you trying to tell us that Pilates is the, is the key to Yes, life? spiritual Pilates. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. Um, so, uh, I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm in, um, weekly cognitive, uh, behavior therapy and, uh, I'm working on, um, you know, being too, you know, being overly rigid in my thinking. Um, so, you know, I had a, grew up with parents that basically just said a flat no to things and, um, um, uh, I remember seeing one of my friends interact with his, I hadn't seen him for years, and interacting with his daughter, and I couldn't believe the amount of uh, dialogue back and forth and debate about something that his 15-year-old, very sassy daughter was giving him, and he was accepting. I thought, oh my God, you know, just, you know, why don't you just say no? But there was a negotiation going on, and uh, that, that sort of um, parenting is completely, um, unknown to me and I've now I've got three boys in their teens um, and um, so I have to work on the on the rigid uh, thinking and uh, watch out that I don't um, suffer from this sort of black and white thinking and on that subject of black and white the 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 I've got I've got some added difficulties in that my ex has got a borderline personality disorder and is basically a sort of a a dark force um, that is continually challenging um, me and the, the separate household that I live in now. So that's really a lot to deal with and um, so uh, kind of mad making the whole thing. And, and there is some genuine black and white thinking. And uh, i got to be careful I don't get caught up in it. And, I have to keep an eye on my sons that they're not starting to pick up BPD traits, and uh, so I'm doing. I'm doing my best to try and be a bit more, you know, chillaxed and less less rigid. You know, I'm a, I'm a work in progress. That's Jules out. Thank you. I love that. Not that you have to go through it, but you brought up how others and their, you know, maybe lack of psychological flexibility can really affect our lives um, and you know we around here we talk about those people <laughs> and those people are often me you know me to somebody else but we talk about that setting healthy boundaries and learning how to s survive and go through it and it's just I mean I can't think of another way that you're gonna I mean you are applying psychological flexibility to it you know, right to it, because there are many times in life, um, and I feel ridiculous even saying this, but I'll speak in terms of me so nobody thinks that I'm calling them out. I really had a, a thought process that if I was good, you know, i.e. moral, uh, followed, you know, respected my parents, did everything right, that, that bad things weren't going to happen to me. 
and um, and there's for me a certain amount of pain. Uh, I live in a in a co-parenting situation, and you know, yesterday my son's father was very difficult. Uh, lots of triggers reminding me of how it was to spend life with him, and just utter sheer pain yesterday. I mean, I was in terror. I was triggered all the way back to 10 years ago when I was trying to get help for my son and he was nowhere to be found. And I think that when I was studying the tenets of psychological flexibility and wanting to specifically come with uh, the doctor's words, um, it really struck me when he said our deepest yearning and powerful motivation is hid, hidden in our powerful defenses, our unhealthy, powerful defenses. And so I, it's going to take me a couple of, maybe more than a week to try to figure out what I need to be flexible about and how to approach it with my feelings toward my ex and trying to make sure my son stays safe in public. Um, but I, I'm glad I have curious, open, and kind and non-judgmental, compassionate um, vocabulary because I can kind of visualize what that looks like as I try to, to walk through this. So I really am so glad that you came up and shared. And I hope you'll be part of our conversation when it works for you moving forward. Um, you've got great sobriety and uh, I just love it. I mean, I feel like the longer I'm around, the more years I have, the less I know. And I'd rather just show up and say that. All right. Brian, thanks for coming up and sharing. Hi, Christina. Hello, everybody. Um, firstly, Jules, thank you for creating uh, GearSpace. It's helped me along my journey uh, with music production, helped me save thousands of dollars on gear and helped me pick the right kind of equipment for my, for my uh, style of music. So thank you so much for that. Uh, onto the topic, Christina, and I'll keep this short because I have so much to say about sobriety. I've been embracing this journey for a little over two years now, and I sort of fell into that trap where we sort of look at getting high and looking at abusing alcohol and binge drinking as a recre recreational activity, especially in my part of the world here where there really isn't much to do in these concrete jungles. And it's almost sort of fashionable for people to sort of get together and look forward to binge drinking on weekends. And I'm seeing youngsters sort of fall into that trap. Again, we sort of uh, really overestimate our body's ability to keep up when we are in our late teens to our 20s to our 30s. We don't realize how our mind and our body changes uh, through the decades. And we also underestimate our body's incredible ability to heal. And with neuroplasticity and with our, you know, brain's unique ability to override past patterns and create new meaningful uh, uh, experiences, I think, that's what these spaces are all about. So I commend you on creating rooms and spaces, encouraging people to really embrace sobriety and look at natural highs because, you know, those are the ones that don't really have any side effects. And that's what will keep you going a long way, you know, living a more meaningful, enriching life. And I'm really starting to experience that, you know, this level of composure and mental clarity that I lacked for a good part of my life has started to come back. 
and I'm loving it. And I'm absolutely comfortable being around people that do what they do. Uh, it's only because, you know, you just find your own. You just seem to find this very comfortable space, uh, which is truly you. And I think when you really stick to being sobriety and have that sense of discipline, that's that's something that will come along uh, with that journey. One thing, though, I think I've sort of been looking towards food. Uh, and I think substance is immaterial, right? Dependence or addiction is the disease. So it doesn't matter what you're looking to as far as uh, looking forward to a mind fix. It could be drugs, sex, gambling, alcohol, food also, and binge eating could be a really big problem. And that's something I'm trying to counter recently. I'm being a lot more mindful about my food choices and just, you know, really restricting the number of cheat meals because they started turning into cheat days. And uh, you know, one doesn't substitute the other. So I think that's something I want to be more mindful about and just something I wanted to add to the conversation as well. With that, I yield, Christina, back to you. Well, thank you so much. I don't think I've, I've met you, so it's nice to meet you. And yes, recovery, um, which is different than necessarily sobriety, but um, I, I agree with you. Um, alcohol consumption is, is a serious epidemic. Um, we've had plenty of rooms about uh, the rise in alcohol, um, alcoholism, uh, the addiction, uh, you defined addiction perfectly. Uh, uh, and, uh, we're looking at numbers like 30 to 40% in this country. Uh, and so I've been at this for 25 years. I, I know, I know there are others that have, you know, time, many people on the stage and um, alcohol is never the answer and that can be applied to food consumption and all things so welcome to our community uh, we, we're really glad that you are here and thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself um, i appreciate it all right teresa welcome hi i'm teresa i'm a recovering codependent i this whole <laughs> term psychological flexibility is new to me. Um, I, uh, I, I'm having difficulties from day to day uh, just because I interact with my family. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, I find sometimes that I don't have that psychological flexibility. I try and then, you know, you're going along for four months during the duration of a difficult situation. And then somebody asks you a question. It's a simple question with a simple answer. And you're getting emotionally, I'm getting emotionally loaded. And I'm feeling judged. And in that moment, I couldn't recognize what I was feeling at that time. And then later called my sponsor and... Um, she's saying, well, what were you feeling in that moment? And just that question, like, gee, I never thought about it until you asked me, what was I feeling in that moment? And I thought, well, geez, I was feeling judged. Like, what's it to you when I did this last? And, you know, this is my business and get out of my business. <laughs> so, what I was thinking about when my brother was asking me a question and, um, and I, I understand the whole situation stressful for my mom and my brother and me, but dang, I just want it to be over with. And so it's kind of just hard for me to navigate 
through the whole situation, staying psychological flexible, flexible, you know. So thank you for this term and the, you know, the things that you shared about this book. I, I find it very interesting. And so that's a, it's a goal, you know, so I appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm complete. You're so welcome. And I, you know, I love, I mean, thank you, of course, for being open and sharing a little bit about your personal story. And I think it's probably the hardest place in our lives to, you know, look at both our reaction and others with, you know, non-judgment and in a compassionate way. Um, you know, that's very human to immediately go to defense. <clears throat> and I also think it's a tall order to ask somebody to stay curious, open, and kind um, while they're feeling like every inch uh, of themselves, uh, the need to fight and the need to dig in. And, you know, for me, um, the triggers around my family were just too intense. And I did need uh, divine intervention sometimes. I needed rules. Mostly I needed someone just like you said to call and have me and ask me these questions and ask me to think about is there any other option is there another way that you could think of this but first and foremost they listened and they witnessed my grief and my pain um, and i think this is one of the reasons why i uh, strive to kind of say, yeah, feelings aren't facts. They shouldn't make the decisions, but they're really damn important. And in order to heal and have, you know, the ability to have compassion for others, I must have it for myself first. I must learn how to do that, which is flexible, right? I mean, I came into this world, ACOA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics. Um, took, it took me 10 years to get there. And I, I thought of myself as, you know, the big book's description of an alcoholic. But within a couple of years, I was introduced to recovering from codependency. And I started to realize that what the big book calls character defects are really trauma responses. And those trauma responses need to be addressed in a kind and loving in compassionate way. And I'm not saying that AA didn't do that. I, I, at that point in time, it took me 18 months. Now I know that it takes 18 months for just 50% of our neuro pathways to come back online. I have no idea what I assumed they were saying. But I had to find people around that didn't trigger the inner child with their suggestions. I needed to find new language. I needed to start focusing on it. And it wasn't, I mean, I thought I was strong because I was able to fight. I'm strong because I'm able to defend myself. But my true strength came from when I was willing to look at past trauma, unfreeze it, process it, really grieve it, and then be more free of it than I've ever been. That's where the true strength came from, was me stopping and saying, okay, I'm going to tell somebody else that what I believe most of all in my life is that it was wrong for me to be born. And, you know, my mother told me that. And, you know, I had to be honest and gentle with myself, at least to admit it, and just be a little open to the fact that that wasn't the truth. 
So I appreciate you sharing about family. I want to encourage you uh, to keep showing up, keep being willing to have conversations, keep willing, you know, for me, I will continue to have all of my feelings, but also be willing to turn toward the pain and get really good and honest with somebody else so that they can teach me how to look at it in a way that isn't so black and white. All right. Heather, thanks for coming up. What would you like to share? Heather, if you're new to the app, the mic is in the bottom right. And you just have to click on it to, um, to get there. Okay, well, we'll go to Val and see if Heather's ready to share after. Hi, Val. So happy to see you here. Can, Kathy, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I, I was a little yeah. worried. No, <laughs> you're not talking into the void. Okay. Um, Heather and Val, I guess, uh, might be uh, distracted or something. Sure. Well, I'd love to hear, if, you know, we've got a few more minutes um, and we've got people on the stage who haven't been able to share yet. So I'd love to take this moment to see if anybody on the stage wants to add to any of the conversations that I've had. I realize I've been doing all the responding, um, but um, sure, let's open it up. Brian, <laughs> Emerald, Kathy. <laughs> me and my big mouth, you know me. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. I think um, the, the flexibility that you, you've been um, talking about, what well, we've all been talking about um, in terms of what you said about your kind of family and stuff. And it's not, I guess it's, it's, it's uh, pretty close to the land of toxic positivity, but um, flexible thinking also allows you to, it, uh, for me, it allows me to better think, well, that's their decision. Do you, do you know what I mean? It puts the onus on, on a choice, on a decision, on the use of words, on the use of language, uh, on an action, on the person that, that, that did that. It's like, yeah, I feel the impact for sure, but I didn't do this. I didn't do this. That was, that's on them. Um, and that allows me, I, I've, a recent example, uh, a friend <coughs> and I drifted apart a little bit and we didn't exactly have words, but... Um, it was a pattern of behavior for me, which in the past I would have just thought, fuck it, deleted their number and carried on with life. Um, but we actually talked it out. I said how I felt, they said how they felt. And uh, we set some, not boundaries, but um, we set some, I guess boundaries. Um, we set some ground rules for, for going forward. And that's been amazing. That's been amazing. I would never have done that. And it's that flexibility that that comes with a freer mindset where you're not entrenched where you're you're not just thinking about your next uh, fix of whatever or you're you're not stuck in that illness um and it was a difficult conversation because it, it's not one i've ever had it wasn't difficult in terms of unpleasantness it was difficult because i'm not used to having those conversations um so yeah uh just you know and think on that when when it comes to how families act and how other people act as well. It's, it's kind of, you know, they've, they've made their choices. You have very, very little to, to do with it sometimes. Right. If that makes any sense. 
No, it makes a to- total sense completely. I, I you know, up, up until last year, because I do turn towards suffering and move forward. And especially if I find myself ruminating about it, you know, I realize, oh, there's more to uncover. There's more to, to deep, to do a deep dive. And I remember working with a spiritual guide and she kept saying, you were abused because you existed. And I could, and I realized that I had a block around it. And it was that absolute fear of powerlessness as a child um, to be able to dive into that and to believe that. I still, somewhere deep inside of me, wanted to believe that I had some control, that it had to have been something I did, because if it was something I did, I could fix it. And so uh, I, that's the way that I took what you said, is just remembering that this is, that that pain that I went through, yes, I had to suffer through it. Yes, I had to overcome it. I, I embrace it because it allows me to work very um, kindly with others. But um, I, I, it's what they did, not me. It is what they did and not me. And so there's a lot of freedom. I'd love to see if Val or Heather are back online. Would you like to share, either one of you? There you go. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you this time. Oh, the app is always so glitchy for me for some reason. Yeah, gosh, Christina, I love what you just said. It just hit me so wildly when you said that, you know, you were abused because you existed. And, um, you know, in that in that inner work that we do, in the work that we do, when, whether if it's like addictions or trauma or whatever it is, like there's, for me, there was that underlying thing that came up right like being a child um being not in control of the things that happened as if somehow i could have controlled it or changed it or whatever you know and the truth is that when our you know our caregivers or the people in our life that we think are there for us that are supposed to be you know taking care of us and they don't they fail to do that that has nothing to do with us as a human being that has nothing to do especially when we're children right and you know and then there's that that whole choice of i'm powerless over that i'm powerless over the you know the healing or the unhealing or the unwillingness of my parents and i also have the powerful responsibility to forgive myself to forgive others and you know i heard a beautiful thing about forgiveness was that it's not um you know, if you're struggling with that word of forgiveness, it's forgiving to God. Like forgive, it's that resentment, that feeling is for you to give to God, to the higher power, to your angels, to universe, whatever it is. And then, you know, we no longer are responsible for carrying that anymore. And in that, you know, especially, I mean, gosh, forgiving myself, right? Even though that might seem so silly, but like having to forgive myself for being a vulnerable child that couldn't help myself. I mean, there's, I grew, I took that into my adulthood where I was like, ooh, no one's ever going to make me feel weak. No one's ever going to make me feel vulnerable. No one is ever going to, you know, whatever that was, because there was a part of me that resented being that powerless child. And, you know, today that's not the case. Thank goodness for, you know, um, healing. Thank goodness for stepping out, acting as if. And thank goodness for the work that we get to do and for rooms like this. So thank you. Oh, you know what? That is 
what a beautiful gem forgive and ing forgiving oh forgiving me i'm going to remember that and and share that everywhere because that is such a helpful way to to look at it um I want to remind everybody that tomorrow we're going to be diving deeper into those specific issues. Um, uh, setting healthy boundaries is the name of the room, but we talk about that pain. Uh, we talk about how we can start to learn to love ourselves, what that actually means, uh, try to give as many uh, you know, uh, strategy tools for people to start acting as if, to start practicing. And, um, you know, there are some speakers that will say, if you have shown up in a rural room for recovery from addiction, you are an adult child of an addict or a dysfunctional family. That's for you to decide. But I personally have never met anybody who showed up in recovery that didn't have things and trauma that they needed to unpack with uh, safe people and be able to let go and sit down and move forward. And so um, I hope that people will mark their calendar and we'll have, you know, a beautiful spiritual space for people to feel, you know, that you can come and, and get both, you know, strategy as well as understanding and healing and, you know, being witnessed. I think uh, when other people started to, when I started feeling seen, when I set, when I shared something that was incredibly painful and somebody didn't just respond and tell me to look at my part, you know, they actually listened and moved forward with it is when I started really growing in to the person that, I mean, I feel like my trauma has expanded me such that I love, as inconvenient as sometimes these big feelings are, I love that I have, you know, the, the capacity and the flexibility to go ahead and feel them. It, remind, it reminds me of that song, uh, I'm going to date myself from Sarah McLaughlin, where it says, hold on, this is going to hurt like hell. And sometimes, yeah, Kathy, right? I mean, what a powerful verse. Um, but we can survive it, and we do. Proof that we survive it because we're here trying to learn how to do better and be better for ourselves. So thank you to everyone who came and shared, you know, Emerald, Kathy, both of you jumping up and being my, my mod and, you know, Jules, uh, Teresa and Val for coming up and sharing something about yourself. If uh, I'm going to hold a little space to see if there are any burning desires um, from anybody up. Yeah, Emerald. I, I just wanted to add, thanks, Christina. I wanted to add um, to the last part that you just said. I had a um, kind of an experience through the separating myself from people. Um, my heart is literally breaking because, um, you know, the acceptance piece is that I cannot change the behaviors of others. I cannot change the way they treat me. Um, but what I can control, what I can change is my personal actions and my personal feelings. Um, sometimes it's hard to control those feelings, you know, and in the action of separation also comes grief. Um, and I wanted to say that um, there was, there's a space in my home that I found. It's literally inside of my walk-in closet. <laughs> and when I have so much... Um, pain built up like I have to have a place to release 
you know, I have to have a designated space to release that the tears and the anger and the frustration and the feeling. And there's a lot of crying and a lot of screaming and a lot of feelings that are just literally being released into this space because um, I don't want to have an emotional outburst while I'm out in the world. <laughs> while I'm out in the world. And um, the other day, a friend of mine called and um, in the midst of my moment, they I accidentally answered the phone. I don't know how the phone was answered because <laughs> I didn't even. And they, they heard me crying and they were so concerned. And I told them, you know, what was going on. And they reminded me, Emerald, when you came out here to L.A., I saw your glow. And I want you to know that, um, you know, as much hurt if you, as you've experienced, as much adversity as you've experienced, I'm not sure why you're still letting things get to you from these people, but know that you cannot keep that, um, take everybody with you as you grow up in a matter of speaking or evolve. Some people got to get left behind so that you can have room for greater value, um, greater experiences. And it was a great reminder for me, um, but I also had to let them know that I don't want to hold on to these feelings because I know what happens when I deny myself feeling, when I deny myself um, the understanding of what's happening and accepting the moments for what they are and accepting my feelings. I have to let them have their moment so that way I can move on and experience the rest of the love, joy, and these positive energies that are waiting for me. So, um Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. What a perfect uh, finishing uh, comment for a conversation about psychological flexibility. And that's what we're all doing, learning. If you are newly sober, trying to get sober, or you've been sober for decades and are looking to take your sobriety to the next level, the Recovery Breakthrough six-week transformation concierge coaching program might be right for you. Have Damon Frank and Christina Dennis Build a custom roadmap to get you on the path to getting what you really need. Receive hands-on concierge coaching and stay focused and productive with our daily check-ins. If you're ready to experience your recovery breakthrough and start the journey towards the transformation you deserve, book a free get-to-know-you call today and find out what is possible in your recovery. To find out more about Recovery Breakthrough, and to book your free call, go to recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us.